It's an awesome day. Worship the Lord. We turn uh, in our Bibles to Acts chapter 6, where we're going to pick up halfway through where we left off. That's what Calvary chapels do. We go straight through. We pick up where we left off in a, in a really dramatic portion of the life of the early church. And so as you make your way there, I'll ask the Lord for his blessing. Heavenly Father, just a wonderful Sunday to remember the awesome sacrifice that you demonstrated upon Calvary as you took our sins away. We remember this morning the the free gift of eternal life, free for us, but the, the cost to you. So as we open up our Bibles, would your spirit open up our hearts to see the wonderful God-breathed insights that will set our hearts free. In Jesus' name, amen. But well, we've all heard the saying that no good deed goes unpunished. And here in Acts chapter 6 and 7, the saying is taken to a whole new level. Now, the early church has been growing like a wheat, not like a weed. Amen? That'll go over better next service, but uh, people are, had a little more coffee, uh, and uh, they're running into some potentially devastating uh, troubles. Uh, the food ministry with the widows, uh, there was contention. Some people were being overlooked. The apostles were spreading themselves way too thin. They just weren't doing things correctly. It opened the door, gave the devil a foothold to come in and cause a potentially church-splitting, terrible situation in there's only one church at the time. So if that one goes belly up, uh, you know, we're all in a world of hurt. So uh, the answer came, seven good men were uh, selected to uh, have responsibility over that ministry. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom. They were selected to really take charge of that whole area, and Stephen was one of them. He kind of headlined the headline, the list, full of spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, uh, full of wisdom. And it sounds like the problems really were resolved. You never hear about it again. They're back in the kitchen. Uh, unity, unity is restored. The murmuring has stopped. The disaster has been averted. And the devil is not happy about that. And so he's going to strike yet again now. Now, I'd like to be able to say that all's well, that ends well, uh, but apparently Stephen has not only been running the ministry, he's been running his mouth and uh, with the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, the, the good deed is not going to go unpunished. Uh, so let's pick up where we left off. Now Stephen, one of the first deacons, if you will, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, if you could believe it. However, <laughs> from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, that's the name of the synagogue as it was called, Jews of Cyrene, Alexandria, as well as the province of Cilicia, Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by which, by whom he spoke, person of the Holy Spirit. Verse 11, then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. 
So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified. This guy never stopped speaking against the holy place, their temple, and against the law, the first five books or the whole Old Testament. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin, the high Jewish court there, looks intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Well, let's pause there. We are going to get to the whole story that spills over into chapter seven a little bit, but here in eight through 15, uh, we're gonna see number one, opposition arises. Uh, That would be eight through 10. And then number two, charges are made. That'll be 11 through 15 if you're taking notes. So as chapter seven unfolds, number three, a defense will be given, and we're gonna have to sum that up because it's a 50-verse sermon. And so, you know, I don't wanna get stoned for preaching a long sermon. Uh, One of my professors of homiletics, which is the study of preaching, uh, said that perhaps one of the reasons Stephen got stoned was because of how long he spoke to them. I don't know. It's a long one. It's perhaps one of the longest sermons recorded in the Bible. And this from a guy who just said, I want to help in the kitchen. You know? So don't let uh, men label you. Men like to label you. You're a deacon. You're the practical concerns of the church. And the Holy Spirit goes, you know what? I'm, I'm really not confined by labels. If there's a heart hungry for me and to be used of me, I'm gonna work in ways above and beyond that which you can imagine. Amen? Amen. Throw that in for free. Sorry. <laughs> All right, so did you get the four points? You tell me what they are. Opposition arises. Charges are made. Charges are filed. That's a good one. <laughs> I should have put that. Opposition arises, charges are made, a defense is given, and a Christian is martyred. Very first time outside of Jesus. So let's begin with the opposition. Uh, Unbelievers uh, didn't like what they were hearing, and they engaged Stephen in an angry debate. Nothing new. Opposition arises all the time because it arises it arose rather with Jesus and his message. So first let's talk about like father, like son. Jesus warned his followers that they'd experience the similar reaction in the world as he did. Now, if you have uh, your message and your life right, it, it must always result in opposition with the world. Uh, that is why Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter three, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's a strong statement to say, everyone? Seriously? Well, yeah, if if you are saying the same things Jesus said, that the world is kind of evil and men are not basically good, they're basically bad, and that's why we need a savior, and that savior happens to be Jesus, who happens to be God, and that nobody else is God, and all other ways are false, and that you're big on the sanctity of life and the sanctity of marriage, and then your life not only professes these things, but we see your life in godliness, you will 
rub somebody the wrong way. In fact, Jesus said, watch out when men have uh, only good things to say about you. He used the word woe. Woe to you when everybody in the world, the sinful, dark, needy, dying, perverted world, the Bible word for the world, perverse generation, not mine. Woe to you if nobody's nose is put out of joint by anything you say, anything you are, and anything you do. Your value is everything. Nothing rubs anybody the wrong way. Then you must reevaluate. Do you really have the real thing? Now, I am not talking about being unnecessarily obnoxious. We have enough of that in the world. Amen? All right. (laughs) Okay. Operation Opposition arose. Stephen's sharing the same message. That's why he's saying the same thing. You have to be born again. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. Um, Jesus started his message by saying, repent. So he's just saying the same thing. So, of course, opposition is going to come. And he's saying it with the same spirit, isn't he? Uh, The night Jesus was betrayed, John 14, verse 17, he said, don't worry, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. He will be with you, and quote, verse 17, he will be in you. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, a stunning concept. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is? is in you. No wonder there's opposition. Christ Jesus, same message, same person, by spirit, inside his body, the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? Saying the same exact things to the same exact people. Yeah, there's gonna be some opposition. And the same exact results. Jesus said, uh, if the world hates you, just keep in mind that they hated me first and it's because of me that there's a rejection. It isn't because of you. And so there's the same offense. Uh, rejection, hostility, persecution. He, uh, so he's hauled before the same kind of group of men uh, for saying the same sorts of things with liars giving the same slanderous testimony. The same things they're saying about uh, Stephen, did you notice, is like almost word for word what they accused our Lord, the trumped up charges of our Lord. And so we're going to take a look at that later. But as we'll see, the outcome is the same. They executed Jesus. They will execute our new deacon. Now, why did that opposition arise? Well, Jesus said, if you belong to the world, the world would love you as its own. John 15 As it is, you don't belong to the world because I've chosen you out of the world and this is why the world hates you. Now, what happened to Stephen? He was just uh, a law-abiding Jew, minding his own business. I don't know what he was doing. He was at at the day of Pentecost celebrating with everybody else. And then suddenly these 120 born-again Christians get filled with the Holy Spirit and they start speaking languages and he's a Greek speaker and he probably speaks another language because he's kind of an imported guy. He's, he's a Jew, but he is a international Jew. And so did he hear the gospel come at him in his own mother tongue? Is that the day our Stephen got saved? and was called out of the world, that was the problem. He heard the voice that we hear. The good shepherd called the sheep, said, hey, I know that voice, and started following, and followed him right out of the synagogue. 
right out of Judaism, right out of the laws and customs of Moses because in Christ he found what all of those things were pointing to. This is what got him in trouble and that's what gets us all in trouble. (laughs) One day we're minding our own business in the world and suddenly now we are been called out of the world and become citizens of heaven. Philippians chapter three, you don't belong here anymore. And that's the reason for the rub and the offense is we don't fit in anymore. And Stephen suddenly realized, whoa, I don't fit in here, but I do fit in with these guys. And so he became part of the church and that's what happened. So he's been helping out, but now he's more prominent in the church. uh, And that always leads to more exposure, right? And apparently he liked to share the gospel in verse 8. Uh, It says that God accompanied preaching, his preaching with miraculous signs and wonders. And that's what the Lord was up to in in those days. He's saying, listen, just don't take their word for it. You know, believe if they can do it. Jesus said, don't just believe my words. But if I can do what nobody else can do, then if I can do the works of God, and my claim is to be God, then put your faith in me. But if I can't back it up with the miracles and the signs and the wonders, then, then don't believe me. But if I do it, <clears throat> then you've got to give me some special thought. And that's what was happening again in the early church. And so uh, opposition arose, and we get the name of the actual synagogue, which is really kind of interesting because it's named Freedom Worship Center. All right? I, I threw in the little contemporizing it, all right? But these are a bunch of Jews who come from different regions of the world. They're listed there, the three of them. Cyrene, part of Libya, modern day. Alexandria, Egypt. And Cilicia, oh, that's important because guess who is from Cilicia? The Apostle Paul. Paul, this is Paul's synagogue. This is where he is. And, and we're going to find out he's a Pharisee. His name is Saul. He's not converted yet. He hasn't been down the road to Damascus yet. He's going to be, but he's not there yet. And so uh, these <clears throat> Jews who were one-time slaves abroad came back to Israel and somehow found their freedom. And so they, they started a synagogue. In the Greek means gathering place. And you had to have 10 adult Jewish males. Once you had that, you had a synagogue, right? And so they got together and they said, hey, we're all from these three cities and we all used to be slaves and now we're not, let's call it Freedom Calvary Chapel, you know, whatever. But they weren't saved, so they couldn't have been a Calvary Chapel, amen. Sorry. Sorry, I got a frog. I've got the, you know, the first service frog in my throat. You know, hopefully by break, it'll be jumping out. Not onto the pews, Lord willing, because <clears throat> that would be nasty. Right? Amen? Can I get an amen? I like messing around with you guys. It's fun. The debate is public. Notice who starts the trouble. Excuse me. It's them. We don't like the signs and wonders. We don't like everybody leaving our synagogue. Hello? that we've worked for many years establishing and everybody's flocking to you guys to see signs and wonders and hear this gospel and they're all uh, acting strange like you and we're not happy about it. So uh, the debate goes public, who knows, they're in the courtyard or whatever and it makes it even worse for humiliation and anger when Stephen is blindfolded with both 
arms tied behind his back and, and, and schools them single-handedly. You know, you've heard of Z-snapping? Well, there was a lot of C-snapping that day, C for Christ. All right, it's okay. <clears throat> Try that again. <clears throat> There's a lot of C-snapping. Thank you, right. Now, they were, there was no logic, no argument, no debate strategy that worked. There were powerful, wealthy, trained, academic men, right? And here's this young deacon guy, hasn't been to seminary, he's been saved a year or two. He's full of wisdom, he's full of the Holy Spirit, and and he renders them speechless. The crowds are ooing and aahing, and you know how we are in debates like that. There's there's applauding, and uh, there's a lot of uh, stuff going on, especially with egos. Stephen had an answer to every objection and their questions, and they had no answers for every one of his. You know what? If you profess to be a believer in the Old Testament, you're a sitting duck for Christian evangelism because there are 300 or so prophecies in your so-called scriptures that you so-called believe in. So let me just take you to one. He was born in Bethlehem, Micah 5.2. He would, he would minister in Galilee, Isaiah 9.2. He would have to die even though he's called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God. He's going to be God, Isaiah 9. He's going to be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7.14. Let's just go a few, a few of these places. But First uh, Corinthians chapter 3 or 2 Corinthians chapter 3, right in there, a Corinthians chapter 3, uh, Paul talks about a veil that is over the Jewish mind. It doesn't matter. And so, of course, they had nothing to say because he had the scriptures and he uh, corners them. And so you believe Moses. Okay, let me show you where Moses talks about Jesus. What do you say to that? Just like you said, nothing right there. There's nothing to say to that. And so notice the character of the opposition before we move on. These are religious guys who say, oh, we love the Lord. We know the Lord. We keep the commandments. They secretly persuade scoundrels to lie about Stephen. And uh, here come the charges now. Uh, So number two, charges are filed. I like that. Uh, He's trash talking the temple. He's trash-talking God's law and Moses. He says Jesus is coming to destroy and to change all our Jewish customs. Well, you know what? He's been framed. These are trumped-up charges. They're perverted things. Uh, Verse 13, I like what it says. Stephen never stops talking. I would put a comma there because I think that's what bothered them the most. (laughs) Against this place. Now, Stephen's words are twisted. They've got a few problems. Number one, they're misunderstanding or willfully misunderstanding what he's saying about the temple. The temple to the Jew was idolized. Um, In fact, to this day, when we were in Jerusalem, the wailing wall, the prayers going in. The, The wailing wall has some sort of power and attraction. And thank you for that. You know what? You know what happened to, to Stephen when he was a deacon server? You gotta, be care- <clears throat> you gotta be careful about being blessings. 
They take Stephen's words and they twist them. Now, the thing about the temple, when we were in those tunnels, there were rows of people just reading out of books, religious books, and praying. The closer they could get to where they think the holy place was, underground, the more holy, and the more they want to be near those rocks. Stephen would say things like, it's not the rocks, it's the Lord. He's bigger than this place. You guys are all drawn about the temple, the temple, the temple. But Jesus said, hey, there's one, there's, there's one bigger, greater than the temple here. Hello? I'm the Lord, and you're all into the rocks. I'm the rock. And so those are the kinds of comments that evil men took and twisted. Wasn't that a disrespect of the temple? It's just saying something bigger than this beautiful, sacred temple. But they twisted that. And number two, they said he's talking trash about the law. The law can be Torah, can mean the first five books that Moses penned, right, by the Holy Spirit. Or it can mean the Psalms as well. And it can mean really the whole Old Testament in a broader way. But he's talking smack about the law. What was he saying? He's saying, hey, Jesus fulfilled all of the laws about the sacrifices, the laws about the high priest, the high priest's clothing, the colors, the layout of the temple. It's all screaming, Jesus, 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 Jesus. That's all he's saying. He's not saying anything's bad. He's just saying there's something better. And about Moses. You don't like our Moses. How can you say anything negative about Moses? I'm not saying anything about negative about Moses. I'm saying something positive about Jesus. Jesus is greater than Moses because he's God. Twisted means you're down on Moses. You hate Moses. You're, you're telling us Moses isn't enough. Blah, 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 blah. He didn't say any of that. And so, you know, I understand having your words twisted. As, a, as somebody who uh, talks a lot, <laughs> especially about the Lord. You guys say, you guys think you have all the answers. Never said that. God only loves certain people. Didn't say that. You think you guys are better than everybody else. Didn't say that. Oh, yeah, I get it. You guys do anything you want. Live your life any way you want. And then at the end, when time gets close to your death, you just say this little prayer and poof, you're just forgiven. Oh, yeah, that sounds really normal and good. Didn't say that. Subtle little twists that make our credibility decrease and negativity about a person who would say those things Increase. That's what happened to him. And that's what happens to us all the time. Never said anything like that, but they twist. Now, before a word is on Stephen's tongue here, God's defending him. Verse 15. Is this not the coolest verse in the Bible? Uh, everyone in the courtroom, all the accusers, he's before the Jewish Supreme Court, all right? Same court that tried Jesus. And then Peter and John and the lame man, these are the big guys. So all the accusers were in the room and they're transfixed, staring intently at Stephen's face because it had a supernatural glow like an angel. So they're all doing their thing, right? And then everybody, the Holy Spirit says, everybody in the room was like, <laughs> and he's just sitting there at perfect peace with a glow. What was God saying there? You're accusing my boy of, of disrespecting Moses. Does this sound familiar, folks? The glow? 
He, he's not disrespecting Moses. He's like Moses. Do you remember the story when Moses came down from the presence of the Lord and had a glow on his face? Exodus chapter 34. I like what one commentator said. Stephen's face did not have that mild, soft, angelic look that we see in so many paintings, nor was it a look of stern judgment, of wrath. Instead, his face reflected the perfect peace and confidence of one that knows and trusts his God. His face had the same reflected glory that Moses had as he beheld God intimately. So uh, another commentator, theologian, Marshall, he said this, the description is of a person who's close to God and reflects some of his glory as the result of being in his presence. Uh, Sometimes it's not so much our words, what we have to say, but it's our manner. It's that can't put your finger on it. We call it the anointing. It's just his presence. And how do you get that? You get that from being around him. It, it rubs off on you by spending time with a person like it does in natural life. Okay, so it's time to move on. We've met the opposition. We know what they're about, why they're enraged, what they're up to. It's time for Stephen to get a chance to say something, and boy, he's going to take advantage of that. Um, So point number three, Stephen's defense, not of himself, of the gospel. Notice that. That's important. Now, even though these guys already know he's innocent, how do they know he's innocent? Because they made up the charges. So they pretty much know that this is all a charade, right? So Acts chapter 7, verse 1, then the high priest asks him, are these charges true? I have written down here Academy Award Performance of the Year, Um, Caiaphas, 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 you are driving me crazy. And I don't mind telling you guys why I feel that way. This guy has met the wise men. He saw the star. He's seen the miracles. He's interviewed the lepers. All the lepers had to get a stamp of his approval. Every leper you read about in the gospel, as we've mentioned before, had to go to the temple and see him. Stretch out their hands, tell the whole story. Every leper Jesus touched had to come to him and his motley crew. Oh, he, he, are these charges true? We're all listening because we want to know the truth. I don't think so. You're a big fat liar, sir. Not only that, you cut, he cut the check to pay the bribed guards who came back from the tomb of Jesus and told him Uh, Boss, we were standing there. An angel came down, rolled the rock away. We fell down. We were shaken like dead guys. Shh. Oh, don't tell anybody that. Caiaphas, don't tell anybody that. We're going to give you some money. We'll keep you jobs. You won't get in trouble. This is what you just say. His disciples came at night. We fell asleep. They stole the body. Here you go. Are these charges true? Oh, Caiaphas, please. We need to fast forward through this for my blood pressure's sake. All right, (laughs) let's play the game. Steve, speak freely. We're here for you. Just tell us. You're accused of blasphemy, insulting the temple, Moses, and wanting to change the way we do things. Are these charges true? Well, we don't have time to go through 50 verses. Let me sum them up because they have a common theme. Uh, There's a genius here going on in the Holy Spirit. First of all, I want you to know it is the long, one of the longest sermons in the Bible. He's standing 
in a semicircle of the Jewish Supreme Court. He has no platform, no podium, no notes, nothing. And yet he gives a detailed panoramic view of the entire Old Testament. He quotes two long quotes from memory, perfectly inserted into this wonderful sermon. Uh, he is just on fire with the Holy Spirit. And what's, what's going on? He's saying, let me show you, since I'm accused of talking smack about Moses and the Old Testament and the temple, let me show you how our own scriptures from the beginning are a nice foundation for the gospel. That the foundation for the gospel is right there in front of your eyes if you just go back to Abraham. So verses one through six starts with Abraham. And, and here's the, the key. God's always been bigger and greater than the temple and even the confines of Israel. Where did he appear to Abraham? It wasn't in the promised land. So number one, Open your understanding from your little tiny world or you're gonna miss what Jesus is doing in the world. Verses seven through 14, look at what God's done for us. So he says, we started with 75 people. Look at how God's blessed us. I'm not against our people. I love our story. So he's telling the story and I believe this little paragraph is to say, I'm pro-Israel. I'm pro-Yahweh. I'm one of you guys. I love this and Jesus didn't come to destroy us. He came to save us. Verses 15 through 18, the whole slavery thing. He says, you do remember we spent 400 years in, in the slave pits in Egypt, right? And we needed some help. So God delivered us from slavery, Pharaoh, the slave pits. God sent Moses to free us from Egypt, and God sent Jesus to free us from sin and the devil. Bigger and better stuff. Egypt represents what Jesus is doing for us in our souls. The gospel isn't against Moses, it's for Jesus, whom Moses talked about. And then finally, in this long speech from verses 39 to the end of his message, he says, you know, guys, we have a reputation as Jews for not always being in line with our God. Uh, that's a nice way of saying that we've been rebellious. We have stiff necks. The idiom in Hebrew for a stiff neck is to be obstinate. The neck doesn't turn. God says turn and the neck won't. And so he says, remember the golden calf. Let me show you about all the ways that our leaders and our people have resisted God. Perhaps it's happening right here today. That's the point of the last little wrap up. We are his people. We have a reputation for this. We've done this from day one with him. Is it possible that you're doing it right now? And then he says, okay, not possible. You are. You're doing it right now. That's where I want to pick up because it gets very exciting. All right, so now you know theologically what he was after. Let me show you in the, let me show you in the Hebrew scriptures the root and foundation of the gospel of Christ. All right, and so here he says, let's pick up at the part now that gets him killed. Uh, 51 through 53. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts, that's like saying they're Gentiles, uh, that you don't tell a Jew that unless you want to get killed. <laughs> uh, you're just like Gentiles. You're just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Verse 52, was there ever a prophet your fathers didn't persecute? 
They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now, guess what? You've betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. And so we pause here, indictment time. Now, I would say, if I was teaching homiletics, don't try this at home, um, because this is the part uh, that gets them into trouble. Here's what he's saying. You're stubborn and obstinate like our ancestors. You're just like Gentiles in their rejection of Christ. Your fathers killed the prophets, and you, their sons, have betrayed and then killed our Messiah. God entrusted you with the greatest privilege as a Jew, and you've turned your back on him yet again. So, you know, the Holy Spirit knows this isn't an evangelistic sermon. You know, nobody's going to get saved out of this, though the Holy Spirit wants them to turn. Uh, But knowing their minds were already made up and there was no more to say, the hearts are closed. The Spirit leads Stephen to just get in their face with the truth, bottom line. And the scalpel comes hard. It touches a nerve. He digs deep. For the word of God is full and living with power. It's sharper than the sharpest knife, cutting deep into our inmost thoughts and desires. It exposes us for what we really are, the new living translation of Hebrews chapter four and verse 12. They have a, you always have a choice. When God confronts you with truth, you always, two choices. Surrender, drop to the knees, or resist. And in this case, they chose, instead of dropping to their knees, and picking up some stones. We're gonna kill this guy. Now, let's finish up briefly. Last point, the first martyr of the church. Verse 54. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looks up to heaven, sees the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he says, I see heaven open, and the Son of Man, a, a Old Testament term for Messiah, The son of God standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul. Hmm. He will soon be the greatest Christian who's ever lived. 59. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, don't hold the sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. Now, whoopsies as far as chapter division process goes, you'll have to go to 8-1 with me, that they should have, in my humble opinion. Uh, And Saul was there giving approval to his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So God's going to use this to evangelize the world. Uh, Verse 2, godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Well, um... Here's a reaction to his sermon. Uh, the truth hurts, and um, furious doesn't even begin to describe the reaction. The word there, we've talked about this word before in the Greek, it means to be sawn in half. King James has it good, cut to the heart. By what? 
well, they're angry, they're breathing fire, someone's gonna die kind of angry. They show they're angry, but who are they angry at? Are they angry at the messenger? This has nothing to do with Stephen's life. This has zero to do with Stephen, zero. Stephen has the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. Christ is speaking through Stephen the same message he's always spoken. Who are they angry at? They're mad at God. We always take everything so personally. I mean, if you are the cause of somebody's anger, then you have to own that. But if you're just the cause of somebody's anger because you're speaking the truth in love, uh, you can resolve your own soul of any guilt because you're doing a good job. That's who they're mad at. They're not mad at, at, at us. They're mad at God. The idea of gnashing their teeth, they start gnashing their teeth, right? Well, uh, gnashing their teeth, seven times Jesus uses that one term to describe what? Hell, right? And so there show one commentator said, these men were prominent, successful, they appeared to be religious, yet they were rejecting God and revealing themselves as citizens of hell. What does it mean to gnash your teeth? It just means to, the word in the Greek means to grind your teeth. And, and what, the frustration, overwhelming anger, disappointment, and the, the weight of eternal loss. The word rush, they rush at him. It's the same word, it's a rare word used for the swine that rushed down the hill to their own demise into the Sea of Galilee. So the tipping point came. What caused them to go berserk? Look, I see the Son of Man, Jewish 4, Daniel chapter 7. Daniel sees the Messiah coming in the clouds of glory, but he's in the shape of a man. So he's called the Son of Man is coming, clouds of glory seated at the right hand of God, which means having the very power of God. So this is what Jesus told Caiaphas that got him the death sentence. I charge you by the living God. Are you the Christ? And Jesus says, I am. And from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power of God and coming on the clouds of glory. What did Stephen do? Stephen said, you killed him, but he got to the place where he told you he was going. And there he is. Can you guys see? The guy who said he was going to be coming in the clouds, seated on the right hand of the power of God, there he is, I see it fulfilled, the very same thing he told you guys. And then they start acting like third grade little girls and start, sorry, no offense if there's any third grade little girls in here. Uh, they cover their ears. No! I'm melting, I'm melting. Please, what, what is this? These Jewish... Man, the wealthiest, most powerful, most educated men in Israel. Covering their ears? Yeah, we can't take it. Can't take the truth. Stop up our ears. I'm sorry to be the one, Caiaphas, to tell you, it won't be that easy to shut out the voice of God. You know what? It just goes straight through the bones, <laughs> straight through the flesh, right into the heart. The inner dialogue will always go on. You can shut the book. You can say, I'm not going to church anymore. Or you can leave the conversation. The inner dialogue goes on because God can speak straight through a brick wall. Your heart, it's not that easy. I felt sorry 
for Stephen when he says, look, Steve, seriously, they can't see him. That's the whole point. That's why they want to kill you. They can't see what you can see. I, we see it. As soon as you said it, we all in the room went, whoa, we see it. We get it. I see it. Didn't you see it? In my heart, I saw kind of what he could have seen. And why on earth is Jesus standing? You know, he's usually, that phrase on the right hand of God is usually seated on the right hand of God the Father, meaning he has all the power of God the Father because he's God the Son. But what's, why are you standing? His boy's in trouble. He's, he's proud. I see you. I hear standing ovation from God of the universe. Sorry. Every human soul wants at least a smile from the maker, right? He gets more than a smile on this day. He goes from serving the grandmas in the basement, just says, hey, I'll God says, I could use a guy like you. Gets into this big argument in the street. Before he even knows it, he's dragged off. His mom and dad were still boasting about my kid got laid hands on by Peter, James, and John. Put their hands on my boy. They're still talking about it. Now he's dragged off. They're going to strip him. They're going to push him down. The first accuser pushes him down to kill him, to try to kill him in the fall. And if he's dead, he's dead. They won't stone you. But they survived the fall, and he survived. And then they just blast away till you're dead. But he gets to see the Lord say, I'm for you. I see it. Come on up here. Come on up here. And he lets him fall asleep. He, the Lord puts him to sleep. Count backwards. <laughs> this is going to go quick. <laughs> you know, I just, it's just an amazing ending that we see, you know, Stephen's last words, of course. He's so much like the Lord. He's filled with the Lord. So the Lord's doing his thing through him. You know, he, he says, Lord, receive my spirit. Who said that? The Lord prayed that. That's from Psalm 35, 31, verse five. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Receive my spirit. And then his second prayer is the same as the Lord's prayers again. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Same sort of thing. Oh, to die, you know, look, look at lied about a short, wonderful life interrupted, full of potential. All the things that he could be saying, why, God, why? I signed up to help. Is this how you treat your helpers? You know, all the things that modern day Christians do, he didn't seem to fall into that trap. He's just all happy to serve the Lord. I like what G. Campbell Morgan said. The fires of the olden days when they used to martyr us, those fires never made martyrs. They revealed them. No hurricane of persecution ever creates martyrs. It reveals them. Stephen was a martyr before they stoned him. He was the first martyr. The word means to witness. He was the first to martyr to seal his testimony with his blood. So... Stephen sealed his testimony with his blood, like Jesus, and it is communion time. The brothers are getting ready. Only Stephen's blood was shed for making some guys really mad, and Jesus' blood was shed for making some sinners really clean. Now remember, as I've said many times, get this straight because it's important. Jesus wasn't killed for his good work. Jesus it was his good work, I should say, to be killed. 
You see, he wasn't going around doing good and whoops, it made some people mad and then he got drug off and crucified. No, he was crucified before the foundation of the world, the Bible says. It was always God's plan to save men. And yes, he uses, God used, the anger and the free will and the rejection of men to bring about his good will to redeem and to open a door of salvation for the world by his blood. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We are all like sheep who have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his or her own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. This is why Jesus was martyred. I love in John 10 when he says, oh, excuse me, by the way, lest you think anybody takes my life. Nobody can take my life. I'm God in the flesh. I willingly lay it down. And he did that. That's the kind of thing that we remember that gives a guy like Stephen the courage, the desire to say, I want to be like you, not only in your character, but like you in your sufferings and your rejection. It's okay with me if someone drags me out in front of a court and says, yeah, yeah, you know what you've been saying? You've been saying uh, the sanctity of marriage, the sanctity of marriage, anti this, anti this. That's a hate crime. We're going to arrest you. You're going to lose your church. You're going to lose your family. This makes that moment seem like, do it. You know when they took the cross off the necklace of the young Sonoma State girl because it might offend somebody in orientation? Take the cross off. You know what I would have said? And I'm sorry, but I would have said, you'll have to chop my head off before you get that cross off my body. Why, why would I, what's in me that wants to do that? This son of God hanging on a piece of wood that he created, <laughs> spat upon, beard pulled out, 39 lashes on the back, loss of blood, all of that stuff nailed on a cross for six hours. You know what? Drag me wherever you want me. Cut the head off. Take whatever you want. If I can honor God in my life, so be it. If I can honor God by my death, what does it matter? You're sending me into eternal reward. And God is able to pick up the pieces where I left off. Amen? It's the love of God and his sacrifice for us that motivates us to do as he did for us He gave it all. Then he says, you want to know what you could do for me? Love God with everything you got, heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you'll fulfill the law of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to to remember the death of Christ on our behalf, which motivated such heroism and courage in your people, and we start to see it take shape and form in Stephen a beautiful young man who lives today and speaks today because he's born again. And the story, this account of his life uh, inspires us to do the same. Let the world go upside down. We've already died and our life is already hid with Christ and God. And when Christ appears, then we too shall appear with him. So we're already there with you, Lord however you see fit to use our lives in this church, we we pray that you would for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.